0: Let's uh, read in Matthew 6, 1, watch out. And how many know the word watch out? It's it's simply a warning. Take heed, watch out. Now, who's Jesus speaking to, by the way? Large crowd of disciples. Okay, it's at the Sermon on the Mount. But in this particular passage, he's going to start out warning them against the Pharisees. You're exactly right. Watch out and don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you're going to lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Let's pause just a second there. Now, this is very straightforward. A lot of what Jesus teaches, it's kind of like, well, what does He mean by that? He doesn't tell us what it means. But there's really no question about these few verses here. Don't do your good deeds publicly, for you'll lose your reward from your Father in heaven. So there's a number of things we can learn here. Number one is that you're rewarded for your good deeds. Everybody say amen? So when you do what the Bible would traditionally call a good deed, helping another person, advancing the kingdom of God, God remembers it, God writes it down, and God records it in a book, and one day you'll be rewarded. Now, how many know you can get your reward on earth, or you can get your reward in heaven? You can lose your reward. And the whole focus of these verses is, what is the motivation of your heart? Because it's not just what you do, but it's why you do it. And remember, as we've been talking about this uh, uh, portion of Scripture, the Sermon on the Mount, it seems like Jesus took the, took the teaching of the Old Testament and brought it to a higher level. Remember when he's talking about adultery? He said, look, it's not just the act, but if you have lust in your heart... Same thing about murder. It's not just that you kill someone, it's that you murder them. But if you have this anger, this uncontrolled, unrestrained anger in your heart, it's the same thing in God's eyes. So Jesus is taking it to a higher level, and once again He does it here because the people that He's going to call hypocrites in just a minute are the Pharisees. And notice what it says is that you can do your good deeds for the praise of men. Now, this is three different things. Jesus is going to talk about don't do, your good, uh, don't do your good works in front of men. And then he's going to talk about your prayer life. And he's going to say in just a few moments that people can pray in such a way that, you know, they're getting accolades from other people. Or you're fasting. In other words, spiritual disciplines, giving, praying, and fasting. All of the things that the Bible is going to talk about in, in, uh, this week and next week that tell us that basically we can be doing these things, and they're good things and right things and religious things, but you can be doing them for the wrong reason. If you're doing them because uh, attention is drawn to yourself, because it gives you some degree of honor, because people praise you, Jesus basically is saying, listen, that's the wrong reason. That's not what it's about. This is supposed to be about you and I. And if you're doing it for another reason, you're going to lose your reward. And it is a warning that Jesus gave. Now, the second verse, he said, when you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do. Now, what's the, what is a hypocrite? A pretender. Keep going. What else? What does it mean? they say one thing that do another okay so they're play acting You can imagine if you look at uh, uh, one of my favorite actors is Denzel Washington. And I am amazed at the roles that guy can play. I mean, he is just all across the board and he does them all well. Well, that's what an actor does. An actor at the right time can produce tears. An actor can put on joy. An actor can do a lot of things, but they are pretending they are adopting a role. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying, is some religious people are doing the right things, but their heart is all messed up and they are a hypocrite. They're not doing it genuinely. They're not doing it from the heart. Remember when Jesus described the basic thrust of the whole Bible and he said there's one great commandment. What did he say it was? That you are to yeah. relationship with God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and number two was to do what? Love your neighbors yourself. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were people that were very meticulously concerned about that you tithe the exact number of mint leaves that you were supposed to. The Bible says they were lovers of money. The Bible says the Pharisees loved the praises of men more than the praises of God. We just read today or yesterday in John's Gospel in our Bible reading, discussed it in our Bible school today, that, uh, that uh, Jesus basically, he put these Pharisees on the spot because they, were, they were, were following him, they were serving him for all the wrong reasons. And you see, these Pharisees killed Jesus uh, because they wanted to protect their religious spot. You see, they had his favorite place uh, with Rome. They had power. They had position. And that's pretty much why they were doing what they were doing. They lost the heart of this thing called uh, 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 the, the, the Old Testament faith. So when you give to someone in need, that is when you do a good work, when you care for the poor, when you go to the homeless shelter, when you go on a missions trip, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have all received their reward they'll ever get. Now, that's interesting. So what Jesus is saying here, basically, is don't draw attention to yourself and don't make a big show of what you're doing. Have you ever met anyone like that? Now, I'm not going to suggest that you should never do this or it's the wrong thing to do, but uh, what do you think when you give some money or you do some act? Do you want to have a newspaper there? Do you want them to take your picture? Do you want to be on the featured spot of the paper so everyone knows that you gave this? Uh, If you're able to give some portion of money, do you want it to be done in your name and a plaque? And again, I'm not saying that's wrong now, but I would suggest maybe just a little pause. Uh, He's going to go and he's going to really amplify this in a second. He's basically going to say, look, when you give, don't don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Do it in secret. So I want to suggest to you, as Jesus is saying, there's a lot of people that are doing a lot of good things and are giving, and they're doing it so other people can see them, so other people can take note of them. And Jesus is saying, you may be surprised because you may lose your reward when you behave in that fashion. And again, the problem here is it's the motivation of the heart. I'm not suggesting that everyone in the newspaper has the wrong motivation. But the issue is Jesus examines the motivations of our heart. It's not just what we do, but it's why we do it. Verse 3, when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, again, this is a hyperbola. It's exaggerated language. It's like, well, first of all, how does your hand know anything? I mean, your hand is your hand. But what Jesus is basically saying is he's advocating something that's secret, something that's private, but yet something that gets the job done, and that's what God sees. You know, there is an insatiable desire in most people, and it's certainly in me, to want to be noticed for what we do. How about you? You know, kids have it. You know, yesterday uh, I had uh, explicit instructions. Rebecca was performing in the open house in her school at 6 o'clock, and I was to be there. And uh, I was rushing to get there, and I just barely made it. But uh, she was looking. And I found me a chair to stand up on and, and video her. Well, now that's every child needs that. You know, one of the greatest things a parent or, 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 or an adult figure in a child's life is to give them an accolade and tell them that you are good because the world, you know, kind of tries to undermine them. But when we grow into adults, somehow we've got to wean ourselves of that great need. Wean ourselves of that need from other people and receive that from God. I can remember years ago, and I don't do it very often, but I do it sometimes now, as I go fishing for my wife after I do something. Particularly on Sunday. Don't, honey, don't give it away. (laughs) Particularly on a Sunday. It's like the first thing you say when you get in the car. Well, and she knows what I'm asking. Because every man needs a cheerleader. uh, And it's interesting how in in, uh, uh, Ephesians, when it talks about husbands and wives, uh, the last thing of the wife, it says a wife is to honor her husband. She's to respect him. It's because a man has this great need to be recognized. I can work in the yard, and I expect Linnell to pick up and see what I did. (laughs) You don't have any of that going on, do you? But part of our journey, I mean, I think part of that is just being a healthy, normal person. But at some part, though, you can feed on what other people are doing. And if you're not careful, your your, your focus can be lost. And you can do it for the praise of men, for the pat on the back from people, even in the house of God. And what Jesus is saying, listen, you do your good deeds and you do them for me and you do them unto me. And it's a great thing he taught there. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Let it be your giving be in secret Uh, Look at verse 4. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. So, now, I I do not believe that Jesus is teaching that it's improper to, uh, for example, when you give your tithe or your offering. In our particular form of government in America, at least now, the tax code allows us to take a deduction at the end of the year, and you can save a little money on your taxes. I know some strong Christian people who, they they don't put their name on the envelope, or they give cash because they don't want anybody to know but I think that's a matter of conscience. If that's what you choose to do, I think it's an admirable thing. Um, I think it's also admirable, and uh, I record mine because any dollar saved is a dollar earned, and I can do something with it, and if the wealth of the wicked is laid out for the just, uh, I think they're wasting a lot of money in our government. But uh, I respect someone that would even go to that length, that would avoid uh, having any public uh, recognition or even public uh, affirmation of, of what they're giving. But I don't believe Jesus was prohibiting that. I don't believe Jesus is prohibiting an example of a leader in their giving. David did this in the Old Testament when they're raising money for the tabernacle. He told it's recorded in the Scripture about how much he gave and what he did. So again, here, it, it, it's not like Jesus is saying. Um, don't let anyone see that you put something in the the, uh, offering when it comes by. But What he's saying is this, don't blow blow a trumpet and don't wait until somebody's watching to do it. See, it's all about our hearts, and I think one of the things as we grow older as Christians, as we mature, is God reveals our heart to us, and sometimes it's not too pleasant. Somebody said? But that's the message in this, is that he's advocating privacy. Now, he's going to basically say the same thing when it comes to prayer. This is interesting, and we're getting ready to launch into the Lord's Prayer. It's called the model prayer, and I'm going to suggest to you that this prayer is a pattern for you to pray on a daily basis. Now, Matthew 6, 5, he goes from the first point to giving, and now this is number two, and when you pray, don't be like the what? Hypocrites are pretenders or those who are wearing a mask or those who are doing it for the praise of men or who are doing it for a show. And now here he describes what the hypocrite does. They love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the corners of the streets that they may be what? Seen by men. So is the problem is that they were standing praying out loud? Is that the problem? No. Is the problem if they were standing on the streets praying? No. What is the problem? Yeah, they're doing it to be seen by men. So, again, once again, the Lord knows the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And it's not just what we do, but it's, it's why we do it. Assuredly, now when the Bible uses the word assuredly, and like your new King James, basically he means truly, or you better underscore this. I say to you, they have what? They have their reward. So, in their religious system, and clearly here Jesus is contrasting the true followers of Christ Christ. And that's what you've got to see Matthew 5, 6, and 7 as. It is a call that began with repentance. And the word repentance implies a turning. It implies a turning away from the things of this world unto the things of God. And in Jesus' case, he was even saying a turning above the level of your religious practice in the Old Testament. And let me show you the way that it really should be. Because their religion had degenerated just like much has in our day as well. And once again, the neat thing is that God will reward us. You know, the Bible says that that our prayers are like what? Incense going up to heaven. You know, God is recording the prayers that you pray. He's writing them down. He's remembering. Somehow God is able to know and interpret these even small things that we do. And one day he will reward us openly. Look at verse 6. When you pray, go into your room. When you've shut the door, pray to your father who is where? In the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you how? openly. Now, likely this was talking about in their homes, in my house, it's a lot of different doors in my house, as I can go in a room and shut the door. I can go in my closet, I can go in Nell's closet, I can go in the kids' room, I can go in the mud mudroom, you know what I'm saying? Most of our homes are like this. In their day, they pretty much lived in a one-room house. It was likely a storage shed or some storage area attached to it. It could have just been a curtain, but it could have been the only private room in their house. And What Jesus was basically saying then, once again, is that the thing about it in prayer is prayer is intended to be first and foremost a relationship where you are talking to me. See, And if you're just doing it to be seen by people, In other words, if the only time you want to pray is when you have a microphone or when there's a public prayer in church. Now, Jesus is not forbidding public prayer. There are, there are numbers of public prayer meetings in the Scripture. The book of Acts has many recorded public prayer meetings. There were places where people would go, down by the river, that they would pray. Uh, the Old Testament is filled with examples of people praying publicly. So he's not saying it's not okay or good to pray together. But what he's saying, once again, is the motivation of your heart and that you need to have a relationship that God that's very private, that nobody knows about but you and Him. If the only praying you do is in church, how many know that's a problem. Somebody said... Yeah. look further um when you go when you pray go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will do what reward. he will reward you openly here again we see this same thing that God talks about is is he uh, uh, he is is going to give us some favor in this life Now, notice who we who are we to pray to in verse six Pray to our Father in heaven, and that's very key. You know, and I think it's very important. It's a term of endearment. You know, it, it's a picture of a God who's desiring to have intimacy with his children. Uh, the Old Testament, by and large, they knew a very austere God. God was the God of judgment. God was the God of Mount Sinai, the God of fire and lightning. Jesus introduced uh, uh, God the Father in a very, very different way. And I think it's important as we pray that we're praying to the right person. I mean, no, we don't pray to Jesus, though he is divine we don't pray to the Holy Spirit. I don't believe it's inappropriate to ask the Holy Spirit to do something for you or even to address Jesus, but in your prayer, Jesus taught us to pray our Father in heaven. And in John's gospel, he taught us that if we prayed in his name, in the name of Jesus, that everything we ask would be, yeah, it'd be given to us. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus. So the object of our prayer or our prayer is directed to our Father in heaven, and it's done in the name of Jesus. But prayer, you know, when, when we talk about prayer, it meant many things to many people. Now, many even backgrounds today, prayers are, are are read from a book, they are recited, they are they're done from memory, or they're written down and they're repeated. They're read together individually or as a group. Uh, that may or may not be a good thing. Once again, it's about the motivation of our heart is the main thing. For many people, prayer is begging. The only time you pray is when you are what in. Yeah, in need or in trouble, and then you pray. But that's not what Jesus is really looking at here. Jesus is basically talking to us about speaking with God or literally talking to God. One thing we're going to see is what we all know is uh, is that we don't pray to tell God what our needs are. We'll see that God already knows our needs. Look at verse 7. When you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they're going to be heard for their many what? Words. It's almost like prayer is an obligation or a duty, whether it's, and again, it is not my place to judge, but if you recite, be it the rosary, or you recite some seasonal prayer or something like that, if you're not careful, you just can be doing a religious act or religious routine or religious duty. Now, However, I know many people in those religious traditions that practice prayer like that have very genuine hearts because, once again, Jesus is not just looking at what we do. He's looking at what? The motivation of our heart. I find, at least in my own life, if my words are not fresh, and I try to catch my daughter in this in her prayers, because I find that Rebecca, we might have taught her, you know, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, you know, you learn that prayer as a child. Well, she's upgraded from that, but she tends to want to say the same one every night. And she can say it really quick, too. It's a good prayer, but there's got to be something a step beyond just the same words every time. Something about the heart changes with life. And I think this is where Jesus is looking at. It's interesting when Jesus said the great commandment was to love the Lord. What was the first thing He said? With all your heart. And your heart was the real you. It's what's really on the inside. Um, When you pray, don't use vain repetitions. They think they'll be heard for the many words. Don't be like them. Now what a wonderful, wonderful uh, promise this next verse is. Your Father knows the things you need of. So then why pray? Have you ever felt, or or, or do you often feel when you go to pray, it's a laundry list? That you're going to God and say, God, hey, look, mortgage payments due. Uh, Lord, my kid's acting crazy again. Lord, I sure am tired of being alone. Now, is it wrong to pray for our needs? No. But the first thing that that prayer is about, it's it's not intended to tell God something He didn't know. It's not intended to remind God something He's forgotten. Uh, my daughter, my, Rebecca, is our strong will one of the bunch. And uh, uh, if you're not careful, she'll nag you to death. Yeah. I mean, she's on and on and on and on. And she knows how to push until she gets what she wants. So we've kind of adjusted that just a little bit. And what we ask her to do is say, Now, honey, you can ask Dad and Mom two, two to, uh, one time, Can I, whatever, can I stay up later? And if we say no, then, then I want you to say, Would you please reconsider? And we give her about two of those, and after number three, strike three, you're out. No, no is no. But, but if you're not careful, it's just, you know, pushing. Well, that's not what you're doing with God. You're not, prayer is not trying to twist God's arm to get him to do something for you or give something. You know, in the Old Testament, they begged God for manna. Uh, not manna, but for, for Egypt's food. He gave them quail, and he gave them so much it made them sick. See, prayer is not trying to get God to do something he doesn't want to do. It's not trying to inform God of something that he's not aware of. But prayer is our opportunity of intimacy to commune with God. And certainly in our communing is our opportunity to express our faith and our belief. But it's done in in, in, in a very different fashion of just this one of, I only talk to God when I've got a need in, our, in my life. Now, let me do this. I want to spend the next few minutes sharing the next part of the Lord's Prayer um, on this little prayer card. And... I'm, I, I pray this way every day. Now, my prayer is not the same, but I want you to see the different aspects of the Lord's Prayer, like stepping stones on a ladder. Now, how many, how many were taught as a child to pray the Lord's Prayer from memory? Let me see your hand. Our Father, which art in heaven hallowed be thy name. Come on, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Give us this day our daily bread and give us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay. Jesus just said, this then is how you should pray, but he didn't necessarily say, just repeat these words from memory every time. But what I will suggest to you, this pattern prayer pretty much encompasses everything that's important in prayer. And it can be like a launching pad for you to pray. Now when I do my my personal prayers, I don't know if you remember when Pastor Sonny Knatzer was here several months ago, but he talked about praying through the tabernacle. Remember that? It was the Old Testament tabernacle. I do both of those every day in my prayer time, whether I have five minutes or whether I have a whole hour. This morning I had the the luxury to have a whole hour to pray and just to be quiet with the Lord and to walk around the sanctuary. And I prayed through both of those. So if I could share with you how I do my personal prayer time, and perhaps this might be something, and you'll probably, you know, you might use this as a guide a time or two, but hopefully you'll internalize it. But this is the way that I do my prayer time. I start out with that Old Testament tabernacle, and guess what was outside this tabernacle? tabernacle. It was the the burnt offering. It was the place where they burnt offerings, which is a reminder of what Christ did. He gave himself fully and completely for us. So when I approach my prayer time with God, here's what I do. I say, Lord, first of all, I want to remember that you gave your life for me. And that my access that I have to God now is because of Jesus Christ. And that you love me and that you care about me and I have been made your son. I'm adopted in the family of God. So before I say one word, I remember Jesus and I remember the one who made the way for me. And remember then, as he taught us before, and I'll just go quickly through this. But the second thing I do is I remember what was called that uh, table of showbread, where there was literally in the Old Testament tabernacle fresh bread. And guess what that bread of the bread is for us today? It's the Word of God. And in my daily time with God, the first thing I do is I read my Bible. And after I have read my Bible and I go into prayer, I thank God for that fresh bread that I just ate. And for example, this morning, I paused to say, thank you, Lord, for what I learned from the book of Ruth. I learned an example of loyalty and a woman that would even find her way in the lineage of Christ uh, I, I, I learned that, uh, uh, a bit about her mother-in-law, Naomi, who had left God's promised people and gone because of a famine into a land and lost everything. And then I began to reflect what I read in John's gospel. And it was like fresh bread, and I thank the Lord for what he taught me that day. The next thing you do, it was called uh, the, the golden lampstand, and the next thing that I pray for every day is that the Holy Spirit would give me fresh oil for my lamp. The oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So I pray and I ask God every day to give me a fresh flow of the Holy Spirit in my life because I don't want to just minister out of my experience or my knowledge, but I want the Holy Spirit to move in and through me. From there, I go, as you're approaching the most holy place, it's a reminder to us from the book of Hebrews that we can come boldly into His presence. See? that we can come because of the blood of Christ. I ask the Lord as I, as I in my mind, walk through this Old Testament tabernacle, I ask Him to wash my hands and feet from my sin. I ask Him, just like Peter, that didn't need to be washed completely, but his feet needed to be washed by Christ, I ask the Lord to forgive me. I ask the Lord to cleanse me. And all this is so that I can enter His presence and to pray knowing that I have an audience with God. In that Old Testament tabernacle, there was a curtain that separated. The high priest, once a year, could go and offer the sacrifice of blood. I mean, we have full access into the presence of God. And from that point, I step into the Lord's Prayer. And I begin this way, my Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. First of all, I'm realizing that I'm talking to my heavenly Father. I'm not talking to God. I'm not talking to the man upstairs. I'm not talking to my bud. I'm talking to my Father in heaven. And it's a positioning. I think this first part of the prayer is super, super huge because it positions me to be able to talk to God. Now that phrase, where, when he talks about our Father in heaven, and you can see several scriptures I've given you there. You can approach, uh, uh, as his child, you can approach him with boldness because of the blood of Christ. Uh, you come before him with thanksgiving and praise for who he is, what he's done, and what he'll do. That's the way I stand before God. Uh, I will often at some point early in my prayer time just begin to reflect on what God has done for me and what he's doing, and even by faith what he's going to do tomorrow. Um, I ask him to lead me to pray his will, and, I'll, and I often will pray much in the, uh, pray in the Spirit just spontaneously as I pray to the Lord. But I'm praying to my Father in heaven, and when we say, hallowed be thy name, it's interesting because we don't use that word hallowed, but it means holy is the name of the Lord our God. It means, may your holy name be honored. Now, this is real key. Um, How many know when you see a a policeman or a policewoman, how many know instantly you are aware that you're in the presence of authority? You know, what, what? what is your common reaction when you're driving down the road and you see a police car? What's the first thing you do? Yeah, hit the brake, take your foot off the gas. Doesn't matter how fast you're going. You just do it out of reflex because you're confronted with authority. It's like, here this person, if you saw them in McDonald's or if you saw them in the mall, you, you, know, you wouldn't know anything about them. You would have, you know, it would just be <laughs> who can get in line the first, you know, the fastest. If there's, you know, one soda pop left and you want it, you would, you know, it'd be different. But if they're there in their badge of authority, you give them the respect that they're due. And in my prayer time, I want to respect God as my Father in heaven. I want to realize that He is my God, and I'm not God. I don't don't have the right to order Him, to boss Him, to twist His arm. He is my Father in heaven, and it's a positioning. This is a place where you establish lordship in your life. See, Jesus is not just my Savior, as you'll see there, but I surrender to the lordship of Christ every day. See, the big, big thing about this prayer is most of this prayer is not for me or about me it's about the kingdom of god and it's about him i am expressing my desire to obey the holy spirit and his word in every area of my life you see we're serving a holy god and notice the first thing that what's the first thing that comes out of your mouth help me i need some money make my wife behave you know straighten those crazy kids out you know what are they doing in washington would you please stop that insanity now what's the first thing that comes out of your mouth number 3 Before I've prayed one thing for myself, I pray, Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. And I want to suggest to you that is the greatest object of the Lord's prayer. That is the place where I spend most of my time praying because when I pray for the Lord's will, you can see I've got eight or ten different things that are there. You can be, I'm very spontaneous at this time of my prayer. I always offer myself first to the Lord because I'm first the one that I have the most responsibility and ability to control and to go after God. I pray God's will in my life, my wife's life, I pray for each of my children for God's will to be done in their life. And then I begin to pray for our church. And I pray for my role in our church. And I pray for staff members. And I pray for ministries. And I pray for anything that comes to my mind. It could be a missionary. It could be for our president. It could be for legislation in Washington. It could be for activities of terrorism. I mean, across the board, you're praying, "Lord, let your kingdom be established here. Let your will be. Let your will be done" as a Supreme Court nominee or in the Texas elections or all these things that are going on. We're not just just praying for what we want but we're praying for the kingdom of God to be established. And I spend most of my prayer time right there praying that God's will would be done. Now the next thing if you look on the back side is you pray the next verse of the Lord's Prayer that he's to give us what? Daily bread. Now this is kind of a kickback in the Old Testament to where God would feed them with what from heaven? Manna that would come how often? Yeah, daily, six days a week, and they would go out and they would pick up that manna, and God would literally place it on the ground, and He felt it fed a million-plus people every day. They'd just go out and they would just pick it up off the ground. They did that for over 40 years. Well, guess what? We're to see that everything in our life comes from God. So I pause and I pray every day. I pray for this church and its financial needs. I pray for your financial needs. I pray for the Miller's financial needs and our dreams and the things we'd love to have. You know, and I just continue to bring them before God because He told me to pray this day, give me my daily what? And what does it do when you pray like that to God? It makes you realize that He's the source. It makes you depend on Him for everything. See, in the absence of that, you pick up the Wall Street Journal, you watch, you know, Fox Business or whatever you do. uh, You you know, you go out, you, you have coffee with people, you're talking about business projects in town. Whatever you do to hustle and make money, You know, and if you don't include God as seeing God as the source, then it becomes all about you, and God will have to humble you. But that's very important that you're not just begging for bread. And listen, when I pray, I pray the Word of God. I say, Lord, I thank you today that Linnell and I are tithers and that you said that you would open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing for us, and you said uh, you would rebuke the devourer, and you said if we delighted ourselves in you, you, we would give, you would give us the desires of our heart, and I pray for maybe some landscaping things around my house, or, you know, something for my hobby, or I'm just praying for things that I would love to have. You know, I ask God to give me this day daily bread. Now, verse 5 is a really big one. It's interesting how, not verse 5, but number 5, forgive us our debts or our sins, As we forgive our debtors or those who sin against us. It is interesting that after Jesus taught in the Lord's Prayer, the only part of the prayer that he reiterated was this part right here. Because the last two verses of the Lord's Prayer when it says, If you forgive men their sins, what will God do? Forgive you. But if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. It's the only portion of the Lord's Prayer that he goes back and reiterates or tells us again to underscore the importance of it. So when I do that, and this is one of the harder places for me because I am a a sensitive person. I get my feelings hurt all the time. How about you? Six of you. Well, that's great. Uh, But I do. And I I get mad at people. And I have to really just empty my heart right here. And then I have to get to the place where not only am I praying for people that have done me wrong, whether they intended to or not, but, but to bless them and ask God to favor them to empty and cleanse my heart. And that's a big, big thing that we ask God to forgive us. See, does anyone here have any sins that you do and it doesn't bother you anymore? Would you dare raise your I'm not going to ask you what it is, but, 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 but this is something that's pretty important. I, I tell you, the, one of the least favorite things I do when I pray is when I have to pray when I'm mindful that I've sinned again. And it's the thing that I brought to God before. And I just about have to force myself to do what Hebrews says, is that we we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was tempted in every point as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we might find what? Mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. So it's like, in the midst of my sinfulness, the devil wants to condemn me and tell me I'm not worthy to pray and keep me out of the place of prayer, Jesus says, it's that very thing I want you to bring to me. And it is just, it's a humbling thing to realize that we can come before God with something that we know was wrong. Our conscience told us, the Word told us, but we did it anyway. Knowing that we knew better, but our flesh wanted to do it. And God says, I want you to come and bring that to me anyway. Because if you confess your sin, I am Faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I just make myself do it because it's the right thing to do. And it's a portion of the Lord's Prayer. Forgiveness for us and release for other people. Because guess what? If you don't do either one of those, it's like uh, when you're washing your car with the hose and your kids playing trick on you and they kink the hose and guess what? No water comes out. That's exactly what happens if we either don't confess our sins to God for forgiveness or if we don't forgive other people. It's a very important part of it. Number six is a big one. I spend quite a bit of time praying that God would keep me from temptation. That God would give me the strength to resist. That He would give me the, the Joseph courage that if a Potiphar's wife is chasing me, to run away from her. See, w- w- whether it's sexual or whether it's whatever it may be in your world. I mean, but there are things, temptation that tries to come to us, and pray that God would show us the way to escape. Corinthians tells us that there's no temptation that's, uh, th- that you've experienced except what's common to man. But with every temptation, God will provide a way of escape. So I pray, Lord, would you show me the way of escape in temptation, and would you give me the courage to run through it? So see, this is just all a part of prayer. It's all a part of talking to God, and it just becomes such a natural flow. And you can pray this quickly in five minutes, or this morning I took a whole hour, and I spent most of my time on one portion in that prayer this morning. Uh, verse 7, or number 7 there, and again, see this is all is like a ladder where you're climbing to the top in prayer. Deliver us from the evil one. Some translations say deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. So this is an opportunity to realize uh, whether it's the first little A there about your spiritual armor, about fighting the demonic, about whether it's spiritual authority, about whether it's praying for strongholds. Let me know you've got strongholds in your life. You've got, you've got generational things that want to assail your family, that want to assail your children. But how many know we've got strongholds in America today? How many know Texarkana has spiritual strongholds? You may find you spend an inordinate amount of time right here praying against evil in our city and our nation or just in, even in your neighborhood. But it's a step in the Lord's Prayer. And this lastly, uh, of course, praying for angels, number D there, to protect you and your family from spiritual attack. Uh, and then verse 8, kind of the doxology uh, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I mean, it's a wonderful place. Just to close it like that, to give God praise and thanks in advance for what He's going to do, or just to make some confession from the Word. But I'm going to encourage you to take this with you and put it in your Bible, laminate it so you you know it would be more just a little piece of paper. But I would encourage you, particularly if you have a little struggle praying. Most people that don't pray uh, is not because they don't have problems; it's because they get bored easily or it's because they don't know what to say when they pray. And I want to suggest to you, Jesus told us in the Lord's Prayer, this is how you should pray. Now, can you do more than this? Absolutely. But I'll tell you, pretty much anything that you would end up praying would somewhere fall on one of these different eight steps that I led you through today. And you'll emphasize a different step every day, but I think every day all these things are important. Daily bread's important, temptation, evil, the will of God, the kingdom of God, your relationship with God, that He's a holy God. And uh, anyway, hopefully that's helpful to you. If you want some more, we we'll printed a couple hundred. You can give one to your spouse or to your kids. But uh, yeah, let that be a, a marker in your, in your prayer life. Well, Lord, we just pray today that uh, what we heard tonight that was good and true would stick with us and our spiritual life would be bettered because we have invested a little time with our brothers and sisters tonight. Thank you, Lord, for those that have come. Thank you that we didn't experience a violent uh, event. As we gathered even tonight, the weather station was warning us of golf ball-sized hail and possible tornadoes. But here it is, 8.15, and the skies are clear. So we thank you for that today, God, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.